Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. A bit of a funereal version of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast as Florida has lost its first game of the Billy Napier era to Kentucky 26-16 this past Saturday night. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get through it. we got a lot to unpack, and uh, then we'll move on. But we've got to obviously address what happened this past Saturday night. But before we get into all of that, I am your host, Neil Shulman. Joining me in a few moments will be Dustin Smith, our co-host, Chris and Casey could not be with us tonight. They have other pressing things to get to. So Dustin and I will we'll get through it and we'll just have to do our best to make heads or tails of it ourselves. But before we do that, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp, or I should say in this year's case, plural, Gator fans to the swamp. The Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses those donations to bring people to their first ever Florida Gator football game. We pay for flights, for rental cars, hotels, game tickets, gear, swag, food, anything that they need in order to have the swamp experience of a lifetime. We have closed our applications for this season. We are going to announce our winner any day now. We've chosen our winner, the Winners know that they've been chosen, so it's a done deal for this year. But if you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us, GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Donations, of course, are always very much appreciated, though not expected. But if you are able and willing to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Two, it is run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. Three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather as they did our new logo, our new website, all our new branding stuff. Uh, The Gator Good Foundation website, they did that too. The new Gator Collective branding, their new logo, their new website, they did all that. And they've still got more Gator-related stuff on the horizon. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that all said, I mean, we know what happens, Dustin. We saw the game. We've had a day and a half to decompress and just unpack it. Dustin, I know you just forced yourself to rewatch the game, so it's still very fresh in your mind. So let's let's get your initial thoughts. I mean, what, what did you make of the game? What went wrong? And, uh, yeah, just, just go ahead. Floor is yours. Yeah, well, Neil, this one was especially difficult. I felt that the Gators had improved in a lot of a lot of phases of the game. I thought that defensively we we played pretty well. I mean, other than the the two interceptions that resulted in points, um, one of course was a pick six. The other uh, brought the ball um, around the five or six yard line. Um, I mean, if you really if you really get down to it. 
the defense really only gave up um, about 10 points, uh, give or take, if I'm doing my math correctly. And I thought they played well. I mean, Gervon Dexter and Brennan Cox had that incredible play that led to an interception. It's amazing to think that Brennan Cox is now uh, tied for leading the team in interceptions alongside uh, our boy Amari Bernie from Utah. But I'm skirting around the, uh, the pig that uh, attempted to put lipstick on, Anthony Richardson. He's great in a lot of ways. However, like any human, um, he's imperfect. And unfortunately, he allowed uh, a few mistakes early on to lead to a domino effect of, in his words, terrible quarterback play. He uh, could not, for the most part, get the ball to wide open receivers. And at other points in the game, he would be somewhat accurate, but in the same respect, he would throw it at 100 miles an hour and would not give his player the opportunity to make the catch. And then, of course, and, we'll, and I'll, I'll probably end up talking about it later in the pod, but you have the two interceptions. And later in the pod, I plan on doing a, a more detailed breakdown on what he did and what he should have done and what he can do better next time. Obviously, it was an incredibly disappointing outcome, um, an incredibly disappointing performance for a guy who had been touted by national media as not only um, a potential first-round draft pick, but as one of the best players in the country. And it's clearly evident that through two games, he's not one of the best players in the country. And at this point, as colorful my orange and blue glasses are, he's no longer a Heisman contender in my mind because the sum of his performances thus far have shown me that he's probably at this point just somewhat better than Trayon Harris, at least throwing the ball, at least from what he's put on tape this year. Uh, can he improve? I, I think he can, but that's where we're at, and that's what I'm saying. Trayon Harris is a very, very low bar. Let's. I, I don't know that, that that's fair. He's definitely, he, he's definitely not the Heisman contender that I think – you, I mean, you and I really agreed on this that he had a, a shot at the Heisman this year, and that that's very clearly not going to happen now unless he's. I mean, really, first of all, the stats are bad. He's he yeah. hasn't thrown for 175 yards in either of his first two games yet, so he's going to have to really start putting up some numbers. And then the tape is bad too, so he, he's got yeah. both of those issues he'd have to work on, and, and in a significant fashion, but. I'm throw that out. I'm not worried about that. That's that's dead. That that's a dead issue. Forget it. It's it's out the window. It's gone. It's done. It's finished. It's there's a zero percent chance to that he's going to win the Heisman this year. If I'm him right now, I'm worried more about the idea that, as he said in the post game, that no, he wasn't physically injured, but that the injury scare got to him that he admitted it was it was affecting his mindset it was affecting him mentally and that it was it was affecting the gators as a result because Neil, we've said many times as he goes so goes the team for those that are listening can you go ahead and summarize what you mean by injury scare 
Sure. So very early in the game, second or third play, I think it was, he took a hit low. The crowd was screaming for a late hit because there had been less contact made by Florida defenders on both Cam Rising in week one and then in Will Levis in week two that had drawn 15-yard penalty flags for unnecessary roughness or targeting or late hits or whatever that did not get called in this sense, but it it clearly did not feel good to him in the moment because he was limping off the field. He then said later after the game in an article by Zach Albalverde that he was not physically hurt by it, but that he was mentally shaken up by it. And I, I had thought that in some in some form or another that that play had an impact on him when I watched it. I, I will never claim to know what goes on through the head of a quarterback for many different reasons. But if he says that, I believe him. And it's a real thing. Getting in a quarterback's head is a legitimate thing that, that happens. And flirting with injury, as I think that's fair to describe that as, is something that is hard to shake. I do not fault him for that. It is normal. It is it is reasonable to be scared of getting injured when you're hit low late. It it does hurt for a few minutes. It does sting. You feel the leg kind of bend a little bit. You think, oh, wow, that was very, very close to potentially being, I mean, I don't know, an, an ACL, an Achilles, a broken leg like Kentucky did to Kyle uh, to Felipe Franks a couple years ago. A, another attempted broken leg when Cash Daniel, our our now friend Cash Daniel, tried to do something a little dirty to Kyle Trask. Just two and a half quarters of game action later, it's a real thing to fear getting hurt. Just like it's a real thing in in baseball to be afraid of getting hit in the head with a, a hundred mile an hour pitch. Those are legitimate things to be afraid of. But Richardson has to do what I think is something that I could not do. He has to do something that is very, very difficult to ask of him and overcome this and move forward and just and bounce back and put it behind him. He has to. If he's going to lead this team to the heights that this team has set out to reach and that every Florida Gator team sets out to reach, he has to do something that I am acknowledging is very, very difficult to ask and just forget about. And if he does... Well, the, the season might be back on, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But for now, that's the thing that is going to dictate the rest of the Gator season. He has to move forward, and he has to forget about that, and he has to stop letting it impact his play. And a, a new day might do that. It might be a situation where he yeah. goes to sleep, he goes to practice the next day, he gets more football reps in under his belt where he does not get hit, where those injury scares do not happen. And it is a little bit easier for him to put it out of his mind. That might happen. But for the sake of this team, he really, really has to. Now, Neil, it's it's uh, it's very easy for us who are the prognosticators or ana- analysts or whatever you want to call us, um, podcasters. It's probably the most appropriate term. It's real easy for us to kind of look at the situation um, from the distance that we have meaning we're not in the program. I mean, you, I know you have some guys that you talk to that, that, that are that are part of it. But anyhow, it's easy for us to make the statements we make. This team has a goal of winning the SEC championship, and it's unlikely. That, that That's the part that's easy for us to say, but it's still a goal for them. And for them to achieve the goal, 
the margin is incredibly slim. And I believe it was Justin Shorter that mentioned during the press conference, the Monday press conference that the team does, he did one. And I believe he mentioned that every Florida team that has won a championship has had a loss. Well, if this is if that's indeed the goal to win a championship and there is a loss involved, well, that's it. We've lost. There we cannot lose again and and have that expectation. And another loss within the SEC will probably take us out of contention, considering that that Georgia and of course Kentucky is in the East. So Florida no longer controls their own destiny. Florida has to beat Georgia and hope that Kentucky loses to Georgia and somebody else. That's 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 it. Florida doesn't control their own destiny. Florida has zero margin for error. So with that said, let me just say this, Neil. It's vital that whatever lessons need to be learned, whatever the team has to do to not lose again, they have to do it. And Anthony Richardson has to play like a serviceable quarterback. I mean, it's frustrating to see that in retrospect now, knowing how far, 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 far away he is from reaching that upside now. Um, Granted, we can talk about how he was hurt or how he was scared of being hurt, I guess, in in that game. But at at the end of the day, you're right. The tape is the tape, and it's it's really indefensible. But – yeah. There were there were exactly. non there were non-Richardson factors that contributed to losing this game. I have said many times, so goes Richardson, so will go the team. And I still stick to that. But some of the things that happened in this game that were not related to Richardson that have to be addressed. Number one, feeding ETN the ball nine times is nine times yeah. more than he would have seen the ball if Dan Mullen was the coach, but it's still not enough given the way that he looked in those nine carries. And that's not a knock on Montreal Johnson. That's not a knock on Naquan Wright. I love both of those guys. And Lorenzo Lingard, same thing. I really would love to see those guys be parts of this offense. But from what I saw from Trevor Etienne, there's no way that nine carries should be his ceiling in the game. There's no way. And he got even fewer than that in week one. So granted, I guess the other side of that is that the coaches did give him more of a workload after being impressed by him in week one. But now, now you got to take that and raise it up even higher. He deserves at least 15 carries a game and preferably 20-plus, but 15 is the bare minimum he should be getting after the way he looked. Um, and the offensive line, they weren't fantastic, but they were fine. They, they, I mean, this seems to be the best offensive line we've had since 2018 when, when Martez Ivy and Tyler Jordan were seniors on Mullen's first team. This offensive line is good. At the very least, it's passable, and passable might just be enough against a good number of SEC teams aside from Georgia. So feed the guy the ball. Feed ETN the ball. Put him behind that offensive line and let him work. And I understand that Anthony Richardson is a phenomenal athlete, but there's no way, there's no way he should throw the ball 35 times unless you're in seven overtimes. Well, no, and even then, because no, 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 sorry, take that back. Because now, because now, when you get into multiple overtimes, you just go for two point conversions. So, no, he should never throw the ball 35 times, period. Hard stop, end of sentence. There's no way he should throw the ball 35 times. And that's not really a knock on Napier. 
I think he was just sort of feeling around, seeing what he had in Richardson. I understand it's his second game. Not going to lynch him and run him out of town. No, 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 none of that. But that was a tactical mistake that he and his offensive staff made. He should not be throwing the ball 35 times in a single game. Florida is not going to be given the best chance to win when he does that. The offensive line is perfectly capable of blocking for runs up the middle between the tackles. Richardson can pull the ball down and run it himself outside the tackle box for a nice change of pace and keep the defense honest. And sure, he should be throwing the ball 20 to 25 times a game so that the defense backs off and respects his pass. But to throw the ball 35 times is a sign that Florida doesn't really know what its strengths are. And when you've got a guy like ETN, when you've got an offensive line with Osiris Torrance now with an improved Ethan White, with an improved Richard Garage, and you've got Montreal Johnson and Naquan Wright as not even the best running back on your team, when you've got them as solid should-be backups that can still carry the ball 10 times a game each, do that. Sandra Bullock, blindside, run the dang ball, man. You've got the personnel for it. You've got the upside of just punishing a team and making them wilt in the even at nighttime, even in the Florida heat. Do it. See what see what happens. Wear them down. Have Richardson pull it occasionally. Have him do some RPOs. Have him run outside. Have him run. Have him throw. That's you know, those are the two components of the RPO. Have him do those things and mix it all up and see what happens. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. ETN is continuing to put good things on tape he continues to in my opinion of course your opinion as well he continues to be either the best or the second best running back on the roster and something that that i want to i'm not sure if it'd be debate but something i wanted to ask you about and potentially debate with you on do you think that do you still think that uh right should be the starting running back or should ETN be the starting running back? I think Naquan Wright is an excellent leader. I think he is excellent at keeping the guys loose, and he, he's a great friend to a lot of guys in that locker room. And I think he is an above-average SEC running back. But simply being an above-average SEC player at your position and being a good leader and being an upperclassman is not an adequate reason to be starting if there is somebody behind you that is better. Trevor Etienne has proven through two games that he is the best running back that Florida has. And look, maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe the coaches don't think that Etienne knows enough of the playbook. Maybe they don't think he's good enough as a blocker, in which case putting him in the game tells the defense you're going to run the ball because if he can't block and the coaches don't trust him to block, there's no other reason he would be in there. Maybe the coaches don't trust him enough as a pass catcher, which would be silly, but maybe he doesn't know the routes well enough. Maybe the coaches don't think he has a good enough grasp on the routes. Maybe the coaches fear miscommunications like we saw with Richardson on that pick six with one of his receivers. I don't know. I don't know the reason behind it, but if it's not because of one of those couple of things, I mean, I would be pretty upset because that would be very reminiscent of the Dan Mullen era because that's what he did. He just refused to play guys who were not seniors unless or, or juniors 
unless someone literally broke their leg, like Felipe Franks. So I I love Wright, and I, I would love to see him in a backup role. I think there's still a, a demand for him to get seven, eight, nine, ten even carries a game once ETN is done punishing defenses with what he's got. And Montreal Johnson, same thing. He can be a great SEC running back. Teams in the SEC that have great running games have more than one big-time SEC running back. So there's still going to be a spot for them to contribute to the team. I'm not saying that they can't contribute, but there's no way from what we've seen on tape so far that ETN should not be getting the bulk of the carries. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think ETN is he's shown to be phenomenal. Um, he's he's living up to that legacy that his brother Travis left at uh, Clemson when when he, uh, along with that uh, juggernaut of a team, won the national championship. So, Neil, do you want to talk about the defense? Talk, speak of there's some positive to take away from that game. Yeah, I mean the defense was fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sing its praises too much because Kentucky's backup running back still got eighty yards, but it, it was it was fine. They had a few negative plays. They sacked Will Levis three times. They blew up two other running plays for losses. So, and, and you know they didn't give up a ton of huge plays. A couple of bad breaks went against them that really didn't help them. But they were responsible for half of the 13 points Kentucky wound up putting on the board because Kentucky got two touchdowns that were directly because of Anthony Richardson. And one of them, Florida's defense might've actually had a stop if not for another blown call by the officials that granted Kentucky a first down at the one yard line. When I said it would have been third and goal from the seven, but I mean, Patrick Tony's got his defense playing with some confidence. I don't know that I'm, as confident about the linebackers as I am about the fronts and the back level of the defense. But I think all things considered, this defense is going to be the best that we've had since I, I mean, since Grantham lucked his way into a top 10 defense in 2019. Yeah. And I think the defense is, it's at least above average. And that's a pleasant, I think it's pleasant to know that, Florida has at least an above average defense and defense that is going to keep Florida in the game against most opponents. And really it all comes down to the quarterback play. Uh, my hope. And again, you know, we're talking about the defense here, but my hope is that Anthony Richardson will move forward and the rest of the season, at least play good enough to not, cost the defense in their efforts. Now, something I want to highlight is I really felt like Florida executed their game plan um, to near perfection. I mean, of course, there's certainly things that that uh, the team can take away on the defensive side and, and get better at. But I was incredibly impressed with past defense. I mean, you had Will Levis coming in as this this quarterback who had been touted as um, a first-round draft pick, one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the preseason hype um, in relation to Will Levis. But Florida, for the most part, um, handled that pass defense fairly well. There was 
really one drive that that I that I recall um, where they were dinking and dunking it all over the field and and really really did an excellent job. And then of course you have that uh, that long touchdown pass, which from the vantage point I had on the field, uh, I didn't think that catch was made. And my premonition was confirmed by what we saw in replay. The only difficult part is in the game of football, if, if there's not conclusive evidence to overturn the call in the field, the play stands. The, it's important to note the ref didn't say the call was confirmed. The ref said the play stands. So with that said, unfortunately, that touchdown had to stand. But I didn't even think they got that. Overall, I feel real good about the defense. Can Florida do well defensively against the best in the country? I think Florida can do pretty good. I mean, ideally, you'd like to see Jalen Kimber make a play on that ball, but he was, aside from not dislodging it, he really did what he was supposed to do. He was in good coverage. He was on him. He was, but he was playing the ball at the same time. So it wasn't like he was committing pass interference. I, I just would have maybe liked to have seen him make sure that the ball was dribbling away on the ground as opposed to possibly being trapped, but you can't get too mad at him for that. I thought he was in, I thought it was in fairly good position and and I don't even mind the defensive play call on that because Florida was correct to trust Kimber and one-on-one coverage on that bomb. And Will Levis just put the ball in a perfect spot, you know, got to give the guy his credit. The man may put mayonnaise in his freaking coffee, but he can deliver a good deep ball and he beat us. And Florida fans spent a lot of the offseason saying he couldn't, and he did. And and we have to own that. He beat us. We have to respect him for that. And we have to just, you know, maybe move on and acknowledge that sometimes quarterbacks who get a lot of hype are good. So, Neil, I know that we say all the time on this podcast that our mantra is keep it respectful, but keep it real. And one thing I know you're, you've are you been very real about, Neil, is the big picture and I want to hear you elaborate on what you still see the big picture as in terms of where this team can go, what what their goals are, and what's realistic. Yeah, so the I think that the, the big picture is really a combination of, of two sides of the same coin. The glass half full side and the glass half empty side. The glass half full side of the coin is Florida has just started the Billy Napier era by splitting a pair of games against top 15 opponents. Utah is now 14 in the country. Kentucky is ranked number nine. Two games against top 15 teams. Florida splits them. They win one. They lose one. That's not a bad start to a tenure for a head coach who took over a mess. And sure, when you look deeper, you wish the win was against Kentucky and the loss was to Utah because Kentucky is the SEC opponent. Yes, the Kentucky tape was really, really bad at some points. And there is a lot to question about the way that the game unfolded. We haven't even talked about the late game decisions yet. We'll, we'll get to that in the final word, I'm sure, when we get to grading the coaches. But I said all offseason long on this pod that one and one was by far the most likely outcome for the first two games. I said 0-2 is extremely unlikely and 2-0 is extremely unlikely. And that's not even just, you know, me crowing about having a correct take here. I think a lot of Gator fans agreed with that. I don't think it was an outlier opinion on my part to say that. 
I don't think I really had to convince anybody of that. I think that a lot of Gator fans thought, yeah, 2-0 would be great, but if we're ripping our, our hearts out and being forced to pick with our heads here, the most likely outcome of the first two games is 1-1. One and one. That is by far the most realistic result. Because basically, you know, we had two coin flip games and you flip a coin twice, there's a 75% chance you're going to get one head and one tails. And that is exactly what we got. The thing that there was a 75% chance of happening happened. We are right where we all thought we'd be. And given where the program was last year, I really think that most reasonable fans would have taken one and one after the first two games. Not thrilled with it, mind you. I'm not saying that. You want to win every game. That is the correct mindset. But when you take out the heart and speak with your head, you would have accepted one and one. You would have been okay with it. So that's the glass half full side. Now, the other side of this coin, the glass half empty side, is that Florida is now 0-1 in the SEC, and that game against Tennessee in two weeks becomes massive. You lose to Tennessee, well, now you're 0-2 in the SEC. And, I mean, earlier you talked about our goals every season, you know, Georgia and Atlanta. Forget that. Forget Georgia. Forget Jacksonville. Forget Atlanta. Forget the CFP. Forget all that. You lose that game to Tennessee and you start 0-2 in the league, now you've got an uphill battle just to get to 500 in the league. And you're staring a losing record in the SEC square in the face again for the second year in a row because Georgia is almost certain to be a loss. So forget that one. Texas A&M, I, you know, I know they lost to Appalachian State, but that's still a road game. You have to go to Texas A&M in a hostile environment that will get up for you in a way that they did not for Appalachian State. That's not a sure thing. Then you have three games against teams that beat you last year in Missouri, LSU, and South Carolina. Sure, they're at home. They're in the swamp. But Florida just lost the game in the swamp, so you can't say that that's a sure thing. I know Florida played the wrong QB in those games last year. They'll have Richardson this year. But again, you cannot assume it's a sure thing to beat teams that beat you last year. Florida could win those games, but you can't bank on them. In fact, you know what? I'll go on record right now. I'll guarantee that Florida loses at least one of those three games because Missouri and South Carolina have major inferiority complexes and get up for Florida like it's their Super Bowl, the way Kentucky does. And LSU, for all the myriad of issues that Brian Kelly's got there, they're still littered with five-star talent across the roster. Wait, so Neil, you're guaranteeing I guarantee we lose Florida at least one of them. Will lose, you're, you're guaranteeing. I guarantee Florida loses at least one of them. I'll put money on it. Ladies and gentlemen, Neil just guaranteed yeah. on this podcast yep. that Florida will lose one of those three games. Yep. Because like LSU, I just said, South yep. Carolina, Missouri. I think Florida can beat each of them, any of them, in a one-off scenario. But I'm so confident in saying we will lose at least one of them. And because, and this goes back to our discussion of Kentucky. Utah and Kentucky exposed a lot of weaknesses on this team. Those teams will now have film on what to do against Florida, and Florida is not going to be able to either outgrow or game plan around all of those weaknesses on three separate occasions. I mean, these are multi-year fixed projects. So, yeah. So, I'm Neil, you better be ready. If we beat all three of those teams, I will hold your feet to the fire 
come Florida State week. Do it. You better well, believe Vandy, it. It'd be Vandy week. Anyway, main, main point here. Because you lost this Kentucky game, now you have no choice. You have to beat Tennessee or you're probably not going to finish 500 in the SEC. And listen, this is not an indictment of Billy Napier. This is an indictment of the situation that he took over. He came in here and was very forthcoming with us and said, this is going to take time. We have to build. And he used that word a lot. Build, 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 build. I think he'll do it. He was my first choice to take over for Dan Mullen. I am every bit as confident now as I was back in November when he took over that he is the right man for the job. But this is going to take time. He said as much. He's recruiting to fix the problem. He's amassed an all-star team of coaches, but that is not going to fix the problems that Florida has overnight. And yes, I realize that anyone could come in here and be likable enough and exploit that likability enough to buy himself a couple of years of substandard results. But Napier has already proven capable of doing what Gator Nation expects a coach at Florida to do. I, I know that the Sun Belt's not the SEC, but I mean, is anyone really mocking the Sun Belt right now? I mean, are, are they really the joke of the conference they were made out to be this offseason with Marshall going to South Bend and beating the top 10 team in Notre Dame, Appalachian State going to Kyle Field, beating another top 10 team in Texas A&M, almost beating UNC last week, by the way, Georgia Southern going to Nebraska as a 20-point underdog and beating them and getting Scott Frost fired. That conference is comprised of a lot of scrappy, feisty, street fighter-type programs, and Napier ruled that conference for four years. So please do not misunderstand. I am high on Napier. I am high on the future. I believe in him. I have faith in him. It's just going to take time. It's going to take time. And yeah, so the reason I say what I say, the reason I'm saying I guarantee Florida will lose one of those three games to Missouri, South Carolina, and LSU is because I'm just listening to our coach. I I just hear the words that come out of his mouth and I pair them with the tape that we saw against Kentucky. This program simply is not ready to consistently win these types of games that they need to win. Other teams at some point will get them on a bad day with for Anthony Richardson. Other teams who have, by the way, much better running games, much better offensive lines than Kentucky will punish the middle level of our defense. We're not going to beat all three of those teams. And I say that because I listen to our coach and because I see the results on the field for myself. And we're at a point now where we have to accept that this season is very, very unlikely to result in the things that the average Gator football season should strive to achieve. So, yes, celebrate the wins. Utah was great. Be happy. Be joyful. Throw parties. Go nuts. But when the loss happens, just take into account the fact that this is a rebuilding year. Remember that most reasonable predictions, including on this very podcast, had Florida at either seven and five or eight and four, which, by the way, is an improvement over last year, and just move forward with the rest of the year with that all in mind. Dustin, speaking of the quarterback situation, you're the former quarterback. So uh, before we get to our final word and then hopefully bury this game forever, tell me what you saw on those two picks. 
it's unfortunate that uh, Anthony Richardson's first touchdown of the season was a pick six. When I was in high school and, and played quarterback, we were always taught to read the corner to flat defender on that particular play. I don't think my my uh, old head coach would be upset for me breaking it down like this. So we called that play Houston. You have the two-receiver side, uh, the outside receiver in the slot. They both ran hitches, at least on tape. Didn't get the chance to see the all-22. Just had the angle that that was available on the broadcast. Um, but from that from that vantage point, both the inside and outside receiver were running hitches. All right. Now, what we were taught to look at is we were taught to look at the leverage and the hip placement of the corner, because if that corner has his hips pointed toward the passing lane and not parallel or with the receiver, then you know, and what we would call it is we call it a danger, danger, danger. You, we, we would know that there would be a high risk of that corner intruding the passing lane and having a clear shot at an interception. And unfortunately, with a hitch, while it's an incredible pass play to get a first down, there's also a high risk of that play being intercepted in return for a touchdown just because of where it's at on the field. Um, really the only person besides the receiver that has a shot at making the, uh, the rundown is the quarterback. And we saw how that turned out in the game on Saturday. So Anthony Richardson should have seen the hip leverage on that corner um, and not thrown the ball. That would have been a perfect opportunity to throw the ball away on, on first and 10. Um, but he did it. He, he tried to force it in there thinking he can make a play and the corner read it perfectly and made the perfect play on this, on the other interception, the one that was returned to the six yard line. That was another play that Anthony Richardson probably should have kept it and run. Wouldn't have been a big gain, but it would have been significantly better than an interception down into the red zone. And on that particular play, uh, it appeared to be some sort of uh, screen, uh, some sort of throw to, I believe, Naquan Wright, if not, if, if my memory is uh, not mistaken, is trying to get the ball to Naquan. And he tried to loop it in there. And again, Kentucky was very good at getting into the pass lanes. And the, uh, I, believe it, I, believe, I believe in this case is, is one of their linebackers um, made an incredible play in the ball. Didn't catch it right away, tipped it up in the air, uh, got it on the tip, and returned it to the six-yard line, six, five or six-yard line. With that said, Neil, um, the last thing I want to say is this. Biggest takeaway and, and something that I know, that I know, that I know that Napier has been drilling and teaching Anthony Richardson on, do not force anything. If it's not there, throw the ball away, live to go another down because Neil, if worst case scenario, let me just say this, Neil, worst case scenario, we just go three and out or, or that, that drive ends on that. There's literally 14 points 
theoretically, two touchdowns that are not on the board, Florida wins the game. Well, okay. technically 13 because, yeah, they didn't oh, – oh, sure. Go ahead. Sorry. Go technically ahead. speaking, 13, 13 in reality. But you, as a quarterback, you have to be disciplined to only throw the ball if you know that you know that you know that that's the right decision. He's got to learn and he's got to make that right play. It cost us against Georgia and it cost us again against Kentucky. That's the biggest thing that we need to see Anthony grow in. And if he does, I think Florida can have a pretty decent season. I mean, your your breakdown is good. I would also add that the wild card in any analysis of the QB position at Florida right now is does Richardson get in his own head again? Because he admitted that he did after that game, and that brought his QB play down 17 different levels from being a, a very good to possibly even great SEC caliber quarterback to a very bad one. So, you know, he's got he's to shake off the, the injury concern. And I think if he does that, I think that the game will come – a lot more naturally to him. I think you will see him start to make better decisions. You will see him not force things. You'll see him be on the right page with his receivers. You'll see him as, I mean, even even on the fumble, he fumbled the ball. You'll see him hold on to the ball more. You'll see him just, you'll see him just play more naturally and you'll see a less panicked and a less rattled and thus a more successful Anthony Richardson. But I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said about either of those two plays. I think now the time has come for us to just bury this game and forget about it because it quite frankly was was really really ugly. I think now we have to shift towards moving forward and how we can get better from this. So yeah, we'll still talk about this game in terms of referencing the play here and there and referencing this as a low point, but the specifics of this game need, need to be put to bed forever. So I mean Dustin, you know the drill. You've been here from the start. You're one of the OG um one of the OG3 and then all kinds of weather forecasts. So going to go we're going to give our play of the game player of the game grades for offense defense special teams and coaches and then assign a final number grade to this game before we bury it and never speak of it in this detail again so dustin what was your play of the game i think i know what it is but go ahead i'll leave the suspense for you to break yeah no i'm gonna have to go with the pick six watching the game from my incredible seat row 54 section 27 looked down in the field saw the pick six take place and then looked over away from the end zone and saw anthony richardson on his behind dejected when i saw that i knew that the game was pretty much over up until that moment there was a little bit of hope you, you know i'm a very hopeful very positive person but once that pick six took place Florida theoretically still had a shot. It was still one score game, but I'm like, yeah, nope, Florida's done. That's it. And uh, that premonition turned to be correct, unfortunately. Yeah, I I can't really disagree with that. Pick six was the play that gave Kentucky the lead that it would not relinquish. You could say the field goal in the last 90 seconds to make it a two score game, but I mean, the pick six changed the tenor of the game from one that Florida was struggling in mightily, but yet you still thought they could win it to, okay, now we're going to lose. I cannot remember a game that I was so, so certain that Florida was going to lose only down one score with 
so much time left in the game. And that, that that's just because that's how the offense was going. The defense wasn't doing terribly, but I could feel that it's a matter of time before they break if it really comes down to that. And it, yeah, it just completely changed the outcome of the game. I mean, the pick six happens with three and a half minutes to go in the th- in the third quarter. I've, I've never been so certain of a Florida loss, especially against a team that's not so leaps and bounds better than them the way that Alabama or Georgia, you could say, are. But I've never been so certain of a Florida loss against a team that we're favored to beat with so much time left in the game because that's just how – that's just the way the game went. So that's the play of the game. Um, player of the game. Who we got? Um, there's a specific player that you so eloquently highlighted in your article. Um, and you also highlighted the earlier in the pod. So I'm gonna leave you to highlight him as as your player. I'm gonna go with the defensive guy. I'm gonna go with Gervon Dexter. Bad uh, interception, way to get the ball. From the stands, it appeared that could have been called as a fumble, but upon further inspection, it was definitely a throw, and Gervon Dexter had to catch it. He had to maintain possession of the ball in the air for it to be a turnover, and indeed, that's what he did, and indeed, Florida did force a turnover on that play, and my hat goes off to him, and I hope that there's many more of that moving forward in the season because... Based on what we've seen thus far, we're going to need that. Well, I'm actually not going to go with ETN because he didn't get the ball enough times to be the player of the game. It's not for a good reason. Sometimes the player of the game is not chosen because of the good things he did, but because of the not good things he did. And I mean, if if OG podcast listeners recall back in 2020 when Florida lost to LSU, it was – Casey's decision to give Marco Wilson his player of the game, not because he did something good, but because he did something that defined the outcome of that game. Uh, And I'm going to say for that very reason, Anthony Richardson, it's not for a good reason. He didn't lead the team in the way that he was supposed to lead by his own admission, not, you know, not haranguing him. I'm just, I'm just repeating what he said, but he had the biggest impact on the outcome of the game. He threw, two extremely costly interceptions, one of which was returned directly for a touchdown, the other of which led to a Kentucky touchdown because it was returned inside the 10-yard line down to the six, and he just wasn't the guy that Florida expected him to be. So because of that, he is the player of the game because he had the biggest impact. Neil, we got to highlight Etienne, man. He he had nine carries. I'm very high on his upside, but the guy had nine touches. He got the touchdown. We had a touchdown, which he scored, a two-point conversion, which he scored, and two field goals. That was it. <laughs> he didn't have the biggest impact on the game. I well, chose my player of the game based on who had the largest impact on the outcome of the game, and it was not him. Well, fair. You, you got to have a, a 1A or a 1B. In, in that I, if you're I'm not very gonna, high on Trevor Etienne. He did not have the biggest impact on the outcome of this game. So I'm not choosing right. him for that. I well, I hope it, it, I hope he will get the touches that allows him to be the player of the game in future games, but he was not it for this one. Well, 
at least we got the chance to howl at him. We did. And, uh, and, and that's Trevor Etienne. If you're listening to this, go be great. Go yeah. you know, continue to thrive. We have nothing but the highest hopes for you, and we can't wait to see what happens. But nine carries is not player of the game worthy, whether it's his fault or not, and it is obviously not. So, great. Dustin, after you. I'm going to go ahead and start with defense, and I'm going to give Florida a B-plus on defense. Florida defensively played enough to win in in most cases unfortunately Kentucky still scored more points than Florida and it wasn't enough now all arguments aside pick six whatever I mean Florida did not win the game and it's impossible for me to give a team an A on defense if Florida doesn't actually win the game as far as offense I'm gonna go I'm gonna have to go with D plus there were some positives. The offensive line looked pretty good. Um, it was saddening to see Tarquin go down, but Austin Barber did play pretty well in in uh, in, in lieu of him. Um, Etienne played phenomenal. Uh, again, I'm going to emphasize that he got the game's only touchdown and the two-point conversion touchdown. Um but Anthony Richardson, the most important player in the field, he played putridly. He, in his own, in in his own right, he got himself a uh, an F, and not the kind of F that you can really recover from. Probably that twenty to thirty percent F, where you might be rethinking some things. And I'm going to leave it at that. Um, hopefully, we don't have to mention. Uh, that type of grade and Anthony Richardson ever again the rest of the season based on his upside and what we believe he can do. Um, in terms of special teams, I thought our kicker uh, played phenomenally. Um, I thought we did better in, in terms of returning. I'm going to have to give our, our special teams an A-. minus. Um, I think we that's the one thing I think we could have done better with is I, I wish that we had had some big plays in the return game, and that simply did not happen. Finally, coaching. I'm going to go ahead and lump, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we, we lump all the coaching together into, into one score. Um, coaching, I'm going to have to give a, uh, a C- minus on coaching. Um, there are some things that were questionable late in the game. I, I know you're going to elaborate on that, so I'll leave you to that. Um, but I, I think... A lot of what we saw with the the failures of Anthony Richardson, a lot of that could be, um, a lot of that can be attributed to the coaching, and the coaching decision. Um, I thought the defensive game plan was phenomenal, and I thought some elements of the offensive game plan made sense. I just we did not execute, and that all comes down to coaching. So with that said, I'm actually going to bump it down a little bit from a C minus to a D, a D flat. Um, as far as an overall grade, we lost. We didn't win the game, and we didn't even. I'm gonna have to give overall. I'm gonna give Florida about a about a sixty a sixty seven, sixty seven percent overall, um, as a grade for the team. Neil, what say you? Well, I really don't. I I, I love what I saw from Trevor Etienne. I loved what I saw from the offensive line. You mentioned Austin Barber. That was great to see. 
I love what I saw from Osiris Torrance, Ethan White, Richard Garage. There were positives to be sure on offense. But with that said, offense gets an F. They get an F. They failed because they got shut out in the entire second half. And from the start of the second half until garbage time with 90 seconds to go in a double-digit game, Florida got 69 yards of total offense. Just just consider how little that is. If Florida had gotten three times that in those 28 and a half minutes, it would still not be very good given the level of competition and given what Kentucky's defense has put on tape. And granted, their first, their own and only game of the season, but from the little that we do know about Kentucky, putting up 207 yards and a half and 414 for a game would still be considered underwhelming. So that's that's a that's a straight failure. That's an F. So it's not the F that that you mentioned for Richardson. I'm not going to go player by player. I'm just going to stick to the units, but it's not the kind of F where you have to just, you know, drop your class and change your major and just drop out of school or whatnot. It's not like a two or a or a four or a seven or you know that that level bad, but it's a it's about a 55 out of 100 type of F. It, it is a straight-up failure because they failed to get the job done when they needed to most. And a lot of that is Richardson, but he is ultimately a very important player, but one player on a unit. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Defense gets a B. They were fine. I'm a little concerned about that middle level of our defense. I thought that the tight ends for Kentucky got a little more free space to operate than they should have, which means we didn't really learn a lot from Dalton Kincaid and Brent Keithy a week ago in Utah. But for the most part, the defense did its job. You know, Cox and Dexter combining for that interception. That's great teamwork. They did their job there. I, as I mentioned earlier, I can't really fault Jalen Kimber for letting that ball be quote unquote caught. You'd like to see him make the ball just dribble away and and clearly hit the ground. But you can't really do a whole lot more than he did, given his positioning and given how close he was to the receiver and how we couldn't really necessarily see the ball at the point at which it, it hit the ground to our eyes for him to further dislodge it. So can't really fault him for that. Patrick Tony's defense does seem to be playing more relaxed, more confident. So, I give them a B for that. And and because they they created five negative plays, three sacks, and two other TFLs of running backs. So I give them credit for all that. So a B. Special teams, I give a solid B plus. Adam Mahalik with a 50-yard field goal. That was great. Jeremy Crawshaw punting the ball. That was great. I don't know that you can really give Florida positive points for the fact that they snapped the ball a mile over their punter's head. I think that that's just more of a minus on their end than a plus on our end because our special teams didn't really do anything to cause that aside from maybe just being that menacing when we lined up. But I give us a B plus because we did the things we were supposed to do. We didn't do anything spectacular, uh, eye-popping to really just grab that A grade or that, that A minus grade. I think maybe if, if Mihalik had hit, I mean, I don't know, a 60-yarder, I think maybe if we blocked a punt or a kick or had a big return, I think maybe that would have sprung that grade up into the A range. But B+, plus, it, it was fine. It was good. I'm perfectly content with it. And now we get to coaching. So I don't really know 
what the rationale was in Billy Napier's mind to go for it two different times on fourth down in the last eight minutes of the game in his own territory. I think there are two possible reasons for it. One, Anthony Richardson is a fantastic athlete. I think maybe he thought giving Anthony just one more play, just one more chance to demonstrate his athleticism would be enough for him to make a big play happen. Maybe it's just a matter of time. Maybe just that Maybe that one last opportunity would be the one that finally resulted in something amazing. Two is that maybe he is more aware of his defense and his personnel overall than I think anyone thinks is possible and that he was afraid that giving Kentucky the ball back would just result in them going eight-minute mode and killing the clock and exhausting our timeouts and eventually scoring and us not getting the ball back because our defense really did do a good job for the most part. You'd like to see Cavazia smoke knock at 80 yards, the backup running back with their starter, Chris Rodriguez, not even playing, but they did okay. So you can't say that they were an outright liability, but maybe Napier thought, okay, this is their limit. They've done all they can do. The next drive is going to be their breaking point. I don't want to make that happen. I want to go for it and keep them off the field and, and keep the ball in our hands rather than give it to them back in their own territory. So I can understand both of those arguments, but Obviously, they don't work. And, of course, decisions come back to bite you, and they always look stupid when they don't work, regardless of how sensible or rational they may seem at the time. I also think that the ends did not justify the means there. I would have punted. I do understand why he didn't, but I absolutely would have punted the ball. Crawshaw's got a big leg. You pin them. You play defense. Maybe your defense makes another turnover happen, like Cox and Dexter did a few drives earlier. So I don't really know what to make of that uh, because I don't know what his thought process was, if, if it was rational or, or if he was just thinking, you know what, screw it. We have to, we got to go for it to win it. And in which case that would, that would definitely ding his grade a little bit in my mind, but without knowing that I will give him and the coaching staff, the benefit of the doubt and just stick with a neutral grade. I'll say C minus it's, it's a, passing grade but it's not really great i i don't really know what you do in the situation of richardson struggling it's not like you could bench him and bring in a kyle trask it's not like you have tim tebow as quarterback and you've got cam newton waiting in the wings it's not like you have Tua Tagovailoa starting and you have jalen hurts waiting in the wings it's not, it's not like you have a proven backup that can come in and do big time things for you so he was in a really a thankless position right there so I can't fault him too much, and I'll just stick with a C minus grade. Overall, it, it's a failure of a grade. I know that I gave them three passing grades and only one failing grade, and that doesn't really totally average out. But the sum of what we saw, because Anthony Richardson is such a critical component to this team's makeup, and because his success so directly dictates the team's success or lack thereof, because that is the situation this team is in. His failure brings down the whole team grade because the team, as you mentioned, did not get the job done and lost to a Kentucky team that no, they're, they're not horrible. It's not just, it's not humiliating the way that Marshall or Appalachian state losses were, or even Georgia Southern was for Nebraska, but it's a bad loss. You can't lose that game at home. It's not like it's Alabama. It's not like it's even LSU. So failure. They get they get about a 50. About a f- 
I'll say, if I'm forced to put an exact number on it, I'll say 52. Uh, I think that they did slightly more right things than wrong. So, you know, and in a college exam, you get points assigned for the things you get right, the questions you get right, some partial credit here and there. They got more than half the possible points they could have gotten because the defense was overall very good. I liked it. I saw from ETN, the offensive line did well. Adam Mahalik, the kicker was great. Crawshaw was great, all that. So I'll give them a little bit more than half, but still a failure of a grade. 52 is, is my grade. And I think that's it, Dustin. I think that's all that needs to be said. We got to bury this game, got to move on and move forward and just hope that Richardson can learn because if he yeah. doesn't, if, I mean, if he doesn't shake that, uh, it could be a long season. Well, Neil, just to further eulogize this game and really, really put it to bed and, and move on. I just want to say this. I'm actually sitting here in my car and I arrived at my destination and I'm looking out my windshield right now. And what I see is I see a rainbow. I just drove through a storm and now I see a rainbow and I'm inspired because and I'm referencing this because, of course, we're the in all kinds of weather forecast. Obviously, in all kinds of weather being a metaphor for whatever the situation, whatever the outcome, we're going to support our team. But physically, I see this rainbow. Figuratively, it represents hope. And I know, Neil, you're going to rat on me. I tend to be that positive orange and blue glasses guy kind of guy. But... And this what the site that I have right now, um, to add on to the rainbow, the sky is also orange and blue, given the, uh, we're recording this around sunset, orange and blue sky, rainbow. I got to have hope, Neil. I'm not saying this team is going to win the SEC. I'm not saying that we're going to be a playoff contender. That, that's out the window. It's going to take a lot to get back there. But I will say this. I, I, I think that we can have hope knowing that this team is going to be successful. They're going to win a lot of games this year, and there's going to be a lot of momentum moving into 2023. As we've said before, as our brand um, so eloquently communicates, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. We say that, we got to believe it. And this team can still have a very good season. Let's put that on the table right away. Nine and three, winning a bowl game to get to 10. You got your double digit wins. You've already beaten a top 10, now a top 15 team. You still can make a New Year's Six Bowl because of the strength of your schedule. You still do have a lot to play for, even if the Natty and the CFP and even the SEC East are gone. You can, hell, you can try to ruin Georgia's season. This season isn't over. I was just saying earlier to recalibrate expectations. That's all. You know, like I said, I think we will be fine. I think Florida has the right guy in Billy Napier. I just think it's going to take time. He said it's going to take time. He, as the coach, has said it's going to be a rebuilding process. We have to be patient. And I'm listening to him. I think that's going to make for some more suckish moments this year. Like I said, I've been on record this pod. I calling a loss to one of Missouri SC or LSU. I guaranteed it. I put money on it. I think that's just because I'm listening to our coach and I'm going to continue to listen to our coach, which means that when he says 
we can expect more and we should be competing for SEC titles and national titles, I'm going to then also believe him because that is what the University of Florida should strive to achieve. All right. I think I think that just about wraps it up. Can't do your go Gators this time, man. I mean, you you, you can give a you can give a more solemn edition of it, but can't do the rousing one. But look, Neil, I'm always going to say go Gators. I'm no, I know, but you, I I agree, I agree, but you can't do it with the gusto that you you do no. after big wins. But no, uh, maybe maybe we beat we beat Tennessee. I'll I'll bring it back. Sure, deal. Which, by the way, that's our season, guys. The Tennessee game that's going to dictate a lot about how the rest of the season goes. So yep. that game is huge. Yep. So until then, y'all stay safe, stay healthy in all kinds of weather. We will stick together for F L O R I D A. Just because I've called a loss to one of those three teams that I mentioned doesn't mean I'm rooting for myself to be right. Dustin, you know the drill, man. Take us home with the two words that have become synonymous with you. Yes, Neil. And I'll I'll say it solemnly, but still passionately. Go Gators. Go Gators, y'all.